Um, Father, thank you for uh, the amazing words that we've just been singing. Um, thank you that the great I am, the Lord, is here. And that your voice, whenever you speak into our lives and into our hearts and into our community, your voice is a voice that scatters fear. And so our very simple prayer as we open up your word this morning is that we would hear that voice and that it would speak not only to our ears and to our minds, but to our hearts and to the very deepest parts of us. And wherever there is fear in our lives this morning, would your voice reach that place and dispel fear and scatter fear and drive it away and bring instead the gift of your peace that Francine has already talked about um, this morning. Father, help us to hear your voice uh, through your word and by your spirit. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Philippians chapter 4. Um, I'm going to read one verse and then pause and then we'll read a little bit more. But this is how, as we get near the end of the letter, um, this is how Paul uh, begins chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Um, I want to just pause there um, just to note a couple of things in that, that first verse. And one of them is just to notice again what we've noticed before, which is Paul's extraordinary love and affection for the Philippians. And in this verse, he kind of gets really carried away with piling phrase upon phrase to try to describe how he feels about them. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, my dear friends. Um, you, can, you can hear the depths of the love and affection uh, that Paul has for these Christians um, in Philippi. So that's the first thing to notice and maybe a challenge to us about how, we, how deeply we love each other as brothers and sisters within the church. But the second thing I want to notice right at the beginning, um, out of his deep love for them, uh, what is Paul's great desire for his dear friends, for his brothers and sisters? Um, his very deep desire is that they would be able to stand firm in the Lord. And that's kind of the, the key phrase that I want to kind of have hanging over everything that we think about uh, this morning. Um, my my kind of title for this talk is Standing Firm in a Shaky World. Um, why, why was that such a central concern for Paul as he wrote to the Philippians? Well, I think for lots of reasons, but, but one of them was that they were living in times of great uncertainty. And especially for Christians at that time, um, in their part of the world and in many parts of the world, um, if you remember Paul himself, who was their missionary founder, who had founded the church in Philippi when he came and met those women by the river and shared the message of Jesus and the church was born. Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, they don't know if he's going to live or die. Other key Christian leaders in other parts of the empire have been imprisoned and killed in Jerusalem and in 
other places as well. And can you imagine what that was like for these young Christians, for these young churches, as they heard that the leaders who had first brought the message of Jesus to them were being imprisoned and were being killed or were living under the threat of death. They were very shaky times to be living in. A lot of uncertainty about who was going to be next, about whether things were going to get worse, whether the heat was going to be turned up uh, by the Roman Empire. And so there's an urgent question then. How do you stand firm as a Christian when the world seems to be shaking in that kind of way. And I guess I want us to reflect as we begin that maybe our own times are shaky for all kinds of other reasons, not quite the same as for those Christians. Um, and I'm not even going to list all the ways in which things are shaky right now because we maybe we talk about it a lot. Um, but there are all kinds of ways in which things in our world right now seem chaotic and confusing and uncertain and shaking. And so the, the urgent question for the Philippians, I think, is also an urgent question for us. How do you stand firm with your feet firmly planted when the world itself seems to be shaking? Um, and I wonder if, if you were answering that question, um, I wonder how you would answer it. What advice would you give if a young Christian came to you and said, how do we stand firm? Or an older Christian, doesn't have to be a young Christian. Somebody asked you, how do we stand firm when everything is shaken? I wonder what kind of practical advice you would give. What would you see as the big, key, urgent priorities? Um, and in the passage that we're about to read, Paul gives some very down-to-earth practical instruction to the church. And one of the things I love about the Bible is it, it always surprises you. And the the advice that Paul gives to people living in shaky times and wanting to stand firm is maybe not quite what we would expect. But I, wanna, I want us to listen together to what it is. I want us to remember as we read this, um, this is not just a random list of rules or instructions. Um, the things that the, the practical teaching that Paul is about to give, all of this flows out of the gospel flows out of the good news about Jesus. So all the mountaintop places we've been earlier on in Philippians about Jesus the king who emptied himself and came down and became human and humbled himself and went all the way down to death on a cross and then was exalted to the right hand of God. All, the, all of that, this then is about how do we live in light of that gospel? Um, how, how does that gospel translate into the day-to-day -day ways in which we live? How do we live in light of Jesus and his amazing grace? So that's just our setup. How do we stand firm in shaky times? How do we live out, out of the gospel in the times in which we're living? Let's listen uh, to what Paul says and look out, by the way, for the beautiful promises which are woven in among the, the practical instructions. So let's read together. And I'm going to start with two names that are impossible to pronounce, but you don't know if I'm pronouncing them right or not. So uh, let's read on. Um, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement 
and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So, um, you may count differently to me, but I count six uh, themes or of practical instruction uh, that Paul um, gives, gives here, and we're going to go through them one by one. I'm not going to try and connect them together, except to say that they all flow out of the gospel, and they all help us to stand firm uh, in shaky times. So, uh, the first thing is this, and maybe you can listen out for the one or two that you most need to hear this morning. Uh, first practical instruction is to be of the same mind. Um, you know, this is not a new theme in the letter. Back in chapter 2, Paul talked to the whole church and called on them to be like-minded, to have the same mind. Um, but now he brings it down to a particular relationship. And he names two women called something like Euodia and Syntyche. Nobody knows. I actually went online on YouTube. And sometimes on YouTube, there are very helpful channels where they tell you how to pronounce difficult Bible names. Uh, and I watched six different videos about these women, and they all pronounced Syntyche's name entirely differently. So I gave up in the end and thought, nobody, nobody knows. Um, their names, we do know their names mean roughly success and lucky. So a kind of superstitious naming of children, maybe, in the pagan world. Um, this is success and this is lucky. Um, and Paul pleads with these two women to be of the same mind. And something is going on. We, we have no idea what the issue was between these two women. There's some kind of difficulty or difference has arisen. Um, did they have theological differences about some secondary theological doctrine? Maybe. Uh, did they have political differences about how to deal with the Roman Empire and the threat of Rome and the authority of Rome? Maybe. Did they have practical differences about church life, about how to serve communion, about how to arrange the chairs, about what songs to sing? Maybe. Um, did they have personality differences? Did they just not get on? Something about Euodia rubbed Syntyche up the wrong way and vice versa. Um, you and I know from experience all of those things can happen among Christians and more other differences that I haven't mentioned. But for Paul, this is a hugely important issue. Uh, we can't just shrug and say, oh, well, these things happen. Not everybody gets along. Um, for Paul, this is about the public credibility of the gospel. 
If the gospel is about God making peace and breaking down barriers and reconciling all things to himself, um, then the credibility of the gospel is at stake in our relationships with each other. These kind of disagreements and differences need to be addressed. The, the church can't stand firm if these things are allowed to fester. Um, and of course, uh, it's good to remember being of the same mind doesn't mean that Yodi and Syntyche have to agree about everything, right? That would be unrealistic and also kind of boring uh, if everybody in the church had to think alike about everything and have the same opinion about everything. But it's about remembering the unity that they have in Jesus and the gospel. And so Paul reminds them that they have been his co-workers in gospel ministry. And he uses this really striking phrase and says, they contended side by side with me in the work of the gospel, which is kind of a, a military fighting on the front line kind of Im Im imagery. These women fought side by side with me in the cause of the gospel. And he's reminding them of the unity that they have that is in Jesus, their king. They agree about the gospel. They agree about Jesus, the saviour and Lord and king of, of their lives. Um, both of their names are in the book of life, as difficult as they are to spell. They're both in the book of life. Um, whatever differences exist between them about other things, they can be of one mind and one heart and one spirit in Jesus. And that's something worth fighting for. Um, Paul, of course, also... Um, as well as talk, speaking to Eudia and Syntyche and pleading with them to be reconciled to each other, he also calls on another person to help them. And he calls them my true companion. And there's a bit of a mystery here. We've no idea who that was or why he gives them a kind of cryptic title and doesn't call them by their name. But it, I think what it does show us is that these kinds of relational tensions are not just a private matter between the two people involved, but they're about the health of the body. They're about the health of the family. And so it's a little hint that sometimes we need to help each other resolve these differences. Sometimes two people can't sort it out just by themselves and they need someone else to come alongside and help them be reconciled to each other. And sometimes we get that privilege of being ministers of reconciliation who do that work of bringing people together. So that's the first thing. If we're going to stand firm in shaky times, we've got to take seriously wherever there is difficulty and disagreement and tension in the body of Christ, we need to work hard at reconciliation and finding our unity in Jesus and being of the same mind. Second thing is this, and this is not a surprise as we've been reading this book. Um, second thing we're to do is to rejoice in the Lord always. Um, this has been a repeated theme throughout the letter. Um, we've got to always keep remembering Paul is writing from prison. He's waiting to find out if he's going to live or die. And yet he writes a letter full of joy and thanksgiving. And he calls on the Philippians and on us to follow his example. And he's saying, whatever happens, whatever is going on in the world, even when the world is shaking, especially when the world is shaking, God's people or to choose to rejoice. It's a difficult calling, but it's a really important one. Um, if, you, if you've read much in the Psalms, you'll know 
This is a theme that kind of runs through the Psalms, not only the theme of rejoicing, but the theme of rejoicing when things are difficult. And so just to pick one example, in Psalm 27, the psalmist speaks of being surrounded by enemies who are advancing against the psalmist to devour his flesh. Right? That's as dramatic an image as you can get. And he says he feels like he's besieged by an army. There's a war is breaking out against him. An army is surrounding him. And a few verses later, the psalmist says, In God's tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Surrounded by enemies, I'm going to choose to shout for joy and make music to the Lord. Um, and I think there's something there. The, the psalmist talks about shouts and talks about music. Um, and of course, you can rejoice in the quiet of your own heart. Maybe some of you are thinking, I'm a quiet kind of person. I'll just do my rejoicing inwardly and quietly. And of course, you can do that. But I think there is something significant about lifting up your voice and speaking or shouting or singing your praises. There's something about declaring them aloud in the presence of your enemies that I think is really important. Uh, maybe also lifting up your hands, which is a very biblical way to involve your body. So you lift up your heart, you lift up your voice, you lift up your hands. Um, I guess I've been, I've been thinking about this rejoicing in the Lord always, and I guess I was thinking, I think I've always just kind of taken it to mean we should cultivate an inward attitude of rejoicing. You know, we should be a rejoicing kind of person as we go about our life. Um, but I think what I was challenged by this week was I don't think we can cultivate an attitude of rejoicing unless we, we have practices of praise in, in our days and in our lives. In other words, we actually have moments in our days and in our week when we pause and rejoice as an activity, right? And involve your heart and involve your voice and involve your body um, and praise and rejoice. And you can, you can figure out what that looks like for you, right? Um, and if you want to use old hymns, use old hymns. And if you want to use modern worship songs, use modern worship songs. And if you want to use country and western or rap or whatever, whatever the language of your soul is, uh, part of the beauty of the internet, one of the good things about the internet is you can find praise music that will express the music of your heart. But find a way that is appropriate for you. But have practices of praise woven into your days and into your week when you stop what you're doing and choose to rejoice and choose to lift up your voice. Um, one of our modern worship songs says, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. It's a kind of act of defiance for the person of faith. Say, no matter what's going on in the world, I'm going to raise a hallelujah. Um, one of the older hymns says, lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. So you work out the way to do it uh, for your personality and, and who you are. But find ways to rejoice in the middle of your, your days. So that's the second thing. We are to, we're to be a one mind. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. The third thing is maybe surprising. Let your gentleness 
be evident to all. It's, it's almost a little quiet sentence that Paul just drops in. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I find it kind of surprising and counterintuitive. In a, in a time of trouble and enemies and threat, it is urgently important that God's people should be gentle. And actually, not just that we should be gentle, but that our gentleness should be evident to all. It should be really obvious. People shouldn't have to go digging through our lives to find the gentleness. It should be um, really obvious to anyone who looks at our life. Um, you and I know it's not easy to be gentle um, in a world like ours because other people are pushing and shouting and shoving. Uh, and maybe we worry that if we're gentle, we'll be overlooked or undervalued or trampled underfoot. It's difficult to be gentle because there's so much that's wrong in the world and maybe we're in a hurry to fix it and we want to make things right and we want to make things happen. And how are we going to do that gently? Um, I think for me, the next phrase really helps. What's the next phrase after let your gentleness be evident to all? The Lord is near, right? And that phrase, you can take that phrase two different ways, and I think they're both true. Um, that phrase can mean Jesus is present with us and within us by his spirit. And of course, Jesus is the one who said, I am gentle and humble of heart. And so if you're finding gentleness doesn't come naturally to you, um, you can ask Jesus and he will express his gentleness through you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is near, right? So you're not fighting the, the fight for gentleness by yourself. Um, but the phrase can also mean Jesus is coming soon. And whenever Jesus appears, whenever he comes, he will make all things new. And so it, and he will judge the living and the dead. And so it's not my job to save the world. And it's not my job to put out every fire and win every argument. And so gentleness becomes possible. The Lord is with you. The Lord is coming soon. Therefore, let your gentleness be evident to all. You can maybe see why gentleness is so important because it expresses our trust in Jesus as Savior and King. If we're really trusting him as Savior and King, um, then we don't need to push and shove and shout. Whenever we do, it betrays our lack of trust, our lack of confidence in Jesus. So that's the third thing, urgently, um, in a time when the world is shaking, God's people need to be gentle. Uh, the fourth thing is this, pray about everything. Um, this is Paul's antidote to worry and anxiety. Um, and I love the fact that Paul doesn't just tell us not to worry. He doesn't just say, um, don't worry, be happy. Um, don't worry, every little thing's going to be all right. Um, he encourages us to bring our worries and anxieties to God and pray about everything. And so I, I take that to mean pray about the small things that you feel are kind of silly and you shouldn't be worrying about, but they still keep you up at night. Right? Bring those to God. Pray about the big things in our world that you find frightening and overwhelming and you worry about the planet and you worry about our children and you worry about what's happening. Bring the small things, bring the big things. Nothing is too small or too big 
bring it to your father who loves you. And of course, there's one other um, unsurprising detail if we've been reading Philippians um, all the way through. Paul says, as you bring your anxieties and your worries to God, do it with thanksgiving. So as you name your worries and name your anxieties, and he's encouraging us to do that, also make a conscious choice to name some things that you're thankful for. And so here are my worries, here are my things that I'm thankful for, and throw them all together uh, before God. But I find myself wondering, how often do I worry and worry and stew inwardly in a way that does no good and is fruitless? Or how often do I talk to the people around me and worry and worry and worry and they worry and worry and worry back at me and it goes round and round in circles and we stew in our anxiety rather than deliberately, consciously, intentionally bringing our worries to God and then leaving them there and not picking them up again as we uh, head out the door. The hymn writer says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Um, And of course, the promise attached to that instruction is amazing. The promise is the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And the image I think there is of God's peace as a kind of battalion, as a kind of army surrounding you and protecting your mind and heart. And I think that's not just a nice comforting phrase. I think there are many people in this room who can testify to God's peace as an almost physical presence, especially in times of greatest need. Um, And so those, even in the last few weeks, who visited with Maureen in Limavati, brought back stories of the peace that was in that room as Maureen approached the end of her life. There was a tangible peace in the room that impacted those who entered. Sharon MacDonald spoke to me a couple of weeks ago and talked about the incredible sense of peace that surrounded her in the wake that her mother died and she buried her mother. And she knew that God's people were praying for her. And she said she'd never felt peace quite like that. It's a tangible thing that comes and guards your heart and your mind. Fifth thing is this. Sorry, we have to keep moving with with these. We could spend uh, all morning on any of these, but there's two more I want to mention. Fifth thing is this. Think about what is good. Um, And Paul piles up this amazing list of words. He says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Fill your mind with those kind of things. Um, And I guess, I don't know how you hear that that little bit from Paul. Um, We could take this to mean the world is so full of darkness and evil. Let's close the curtains and live inside a Christian subculture and only listen to Christian music and watch Christian movies and read Christian novels. And that's one way we could go with that instruction. What's really interesting about this list of words from Paul is they're they're actually not at all common in Paul's writings, that that particular kind of list of words. They're not even particularly common in the Bible in quite that form. But they would have been 
very familiar to people in the ancient world from the writings of Greek and Roman philosophers and poets. So uh, if you want to go on your Sunday afternoon and read a little bit of Cicero or Seneca or Epictetus or these kind of um, thinkers of the ancient world, you'll find this kind of list of words a lot. They were common stock in the, the world of Greco-Roman moralism where, where they talked about virtue. And so there's something really interesting going on here where Paul is borrowing from the wider culture as he did in his sermon uh, in Athens in Acts 17 where he quoted from the poets and philosophers of the Greek world. And so I think that's a little clue that Paul's encouragement here is not to live inside a Christian subculture um, and only consume Christian things, but actually it's to look for the good things even in the wider culture and to say, yes, there is a lot of darkness and a lot of evil, but there are also glimmers of light to be found everywhere for those with eyes to see. And we as Christians are to be people who look for the good and celebrate the good wherever you find it and think about those things. So G.K. Chesterton um, said one time, and I find this really helpful, that our, our world is like a shipwreck. And sometimes as you look around at the world, all you can see is the wreckage and the mess and the brokenness. But if you keep looking, there is also treasure to be found <laughs> scattered among the wreckage. Um, and so I think there's an encouragement here for us as Christians, and we, we maybe need to help each other with this. If you find something that is good and true and beautiful, Tell others about it um, so we can share those things with each other. But before I, I leave this point, I do also want to say, I think there is also here an, a really strong encouragement to practice discernment. We're not just to open our mind to everything willy-nilly. Um, and I think this is something maybe in our generation um, we need to have honest conversations about. Um, and I'm going to make a big sweeping statement here, uh, and you can, you can debate it over your Sunday lunch. Uh, but I think something like this is true. Um, in my grandparents' generation, a lot of Christians didn't go to the cinema at all or watch TV. Certainly that was true in my, my grandparents' homes. In my parents' generation, Christians started to, to go to the cinema and watch some, some TV, but had very strict rules about what you were allowed to watch and what you weren't allowed to watch, and that maybe annoyed some of us growing up um, in those kind of homes. In my generation, um, whatever that is, um, Christians started to make a case for watching edgy things and dark things because those things we said were telling the truth about the broken world. And there's a case to be made that maybe we need artists who tell the truth, even if it's a little bit dark or edgy. But I think that has kind of opened the door where now the generations coming after mine, there's a little bit of a free-for-all of we are free to watch whatever we want uh, and just open the doors of our minds wide open. And I think there's maybe a conversation we need to have. It's a distorted view of our freedom in Christ. Paul says in one of his other letters, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And we need to have some really strong discernment, discernment questions as a filter. And maybe you could use Paul's list of words and ask, is this true? Is it excellent? Is it noble? Is it praiseworthy? 
Is it good? Is it beautiful? Is it true? That's the, the shorter version. Um, and those are the kind of questions that we need to ask. Um, we won't all come to the same decisions, and I can't give you a list of what is okay to watch and what is not, and we can't be each other's judges in that. But I think we do need to have that conversation. Um, it's been on my heart this week. There's a, an epidemic of mental health problems in our culture, and of course, there are lots of reasons for that, and some of it comes from real trauma, and some of it comes from genetic and hereditary factors. But I think there's another big factor here, which is we have an entertainment and media and social media culture where we consume all kinds of stuff with no filter. And some of it is really dark and disturbing, and lots of it is just trashy and trivial, frothy nonsense. And it's candy floss for the eyes and the mind. And there's a very simple thing that if we fill our bodies full of junk food, we start to feel slow and sluggish and sick. And if we fill our minds full of junk food, our minds start to become sick. And so there's something here we urgently maybe need to talk about. How do we fill our minds with what is good and beautiful and true? How do we help each other uh, to do that? I need to get to the end. Last thing is this, look for role models. Uh, Paul returns to a theme that he touched on earlier that we talked about last week. Um, Paul points to his own example, says, whatever you've seen in me, and maybe we get a wee bit uncomfortable with that and think that sounds kind of arrogant, say, do, do what I'm doing, follow, follow my example. But we know Paul doesn't think he's perfect. Um, he said in a passage we read a couple of weeks ago, I haven't already attained all this. I haven't already reached the goal. Paul knows that he is an ordinary, flawed human being, but he has received God's grace in his life and he is genuinely seeking after the goal of God's best. And so it's the direction of Paul's life that he's asking them to emulate. He's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. He's not saying, copy everything that I do, but he's saying, follow the direction of my life as I run after Jesus. Um, and so it's a question I want to leave you with. Who are, uh, we asked it before, but I want to ask it again. Who are those role models for you? Who are the people who practice the things that we've been talking about this morning? Who, whenever there's disagreement and tension, are the peacemakers who bring people together and ground people in Jesus and the gospel? Um, who are the people who rejoice even when things are tough? Who are the people whose gentleness is evident in everything they do? Who are the people who pray about everything, pray about their worries and anxieties and give thanks and do, do bring everything to God? Who are the people who are always looking for the good and filling their minds with what is good and beautiful and true and encouraging others to do the same? Um, think about those people today. Look for those people, whatever you have seen in them or learned from them or received from them, put it into practice. Follow them as they follow Jesus. Um, and the final promise is this. The God of peace will be with you. Before the promise was the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. This is even more personal. The God of peace will be with you. And so I want to take that, that promise 
and just turn it into a prayer as we finish. Um, and then we're going to sing a song uh, to finish with. Um, so let's pray together. Um, and let me encourage you, especially if there's anything you're feeling overwhelmed by or anxious about or afraid about uh, that's kind of shaking in your life at the minute, uh, there'll be a couple of people up here who would love to pray for you uh, for those things or for anything else that's going on. Father, I want to uh, thank you this morning that in the middle of a world that is full of anxiety and confusion, we can stand firm this morning and we can walk unafraid because the God of peace is with us. And as you walk with us, you share your own peace with us. I want to thank you this morning that you are not anxious or overwhelmed by the present state of the world. And you have a good plan to bring things to a good end and restore your peace and your shalom to all creation. Father, help us to rest in that this morning. Help us to take our stand in that this morning. If the God of peace is with us, then we don't need to fear, even if the earth trembles, even if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, even if the nations rage, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if we're surrounded by enemies, even if our whole world right now seems to be shaking. Help us today, help us this week, to rest in you and trust in you and find that your promises are true, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds, that the God of peace will be with us every moment, every day. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.